You're about to listen to a new episode of Audio Signals. Get ready to take a journey into the known, the unknown, and everything in between. Recorded at no specific point in time nor space, ITSP Magazine's co-founders Marco Cipelli and Sean Martin follow their passion and curiosity as they venture away from the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society to discover new stories worth being told. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Marco. Sean. I'm feeling kind of sad. You're sad. I'm sad. And that, I have that, that makes this, me sad. That makes you sad. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I have a ton of camera equipment. Uh, I'd love to use and uh, I do some some photography landscape and architecture and things I don't do a lot for products but I but I'm getting a sense that technology is taking us to a point where I don't even need the camera anymore if I want to visualize the the New York skyline I can just tell the computer to render that for me (laughs) Yeah, but you know, you may talk to somebody that doesn't know enough about rendering and you may think, hey, you still need the photography in order to do that. And then you're going to bring it from different angles. I mean, I've I've seen things happening. They put it on a plate and they turn it around and there's multiple cameras. But maybe this is a long time ago. I I don't know. I mean, I, I am really curious to know if you have a future as a photographer or not. I think we need to talk to someone that knows a little bit about 3D rendering and see if your fear and your sadness is, is justified. What do you think? Should we should we have that conversation on audio signals today? Is my sadness justified? <laughs> let's do it. Let, let, let's uh, let's pump this up. Maybe let, let's uh, let's see if we can end on a happy note. Hopefully, uh, we'll we'll bring my happiness back uh, through this conversation with Beck Besecker. Beck, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. So, how how weird back was our introduction? It's a it, it's about an eight out of one to ten. That was pretty good and weirdness. Weirdness. Obviously, you can tell that uh, we 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 are excited about this conversation, and we I think when we talk about three D, we don't really know enough about how we get to that. We just start seeing things around and floating around. So that would be my first question is like, you know, how do we get where we are and the technology that we're using this? That would be the curiosity in me. But before mm-hmm. we do that, we would like to know what qualifies you to know so much more than us about 3D. Sure. So um, 
Um, I'm the CEO of a company called uh, Marksent. Uh, we have a product called the 3D Cloud. And the 3D Cloud is a content management system for virtual twins of real products uh, that we use to uh, uh, help retailers, help consumers do things like build a kitchen in 3D, build a deck in 3D, build a bathroom in 3D, build a living room in 3D. And so uh, we're the company that helped bring, uh, if you've ever, you know, remember one day you'd, uh, if you wanted to book a, a ticket online or a ticket, you had to call a travel agent. Now you just go to Expedia and do it yourself. We're the company that is doing the same thing for, for 3D and home planning. So instead of having to go to a pro and sit in the store and have a specialized software, you can go right onto a browser and build your own project without any need for specialized training or specialized equipment. And so we're trying to democratize um, 3D uh, planning and, and visualization for mostly home goods today, although we think it'll expand to other categories as well. So yeah, uh, 11 plus years in 3D content management and, and all sorts of products. Very cool. So let me, let me start right away with the, with the what Sean mentioned at the beginning. Uh, he is passionate about photography. He made the joke like, you know, he may be not be using his camera if we wanted to take a picture of a product. So is that actually close to the truth? I mean, I mean, you said somebody come on the website. I can see a ticket that is not printed. It is in the digital format. But where do you start with that? I mean, so how, how so, does it work? Yeah, so let's do some a little bit of definition work. So we have have a sense of the kind of the multiple phases. So right. if you went onto a website 10 years ago and you saw, let's just use a simple example, like a, a sofa, right? Or chair. And you saw an image of that object. Odds are that was a real photo of an object where somebody went into a studio. They took a product, you know, images of the product from multiple dimensions. Maybe they took 16 different photos. So you could like, feels like you're spinning the product around, seeing it from different angles. Okay. So that's, you know, 10 years ago, you know, two, three, four, five years ago, if you saw a picture of that same couch, uh, on a website, odds are that's not photography. Odds are that's 3d. Now what they did to that 3d couch is they created a 3d model of it and then and then they and then they lit it just like you would a real product in the studio and then they took a snapshot of it and then that snapshot became a photo and replaced the old type of photo with a photo of a 3d object that's been lit that's called and that that's called rendering the object right so, so do you do this do you use like leader and that kind of technology to do something no. like that? Like, you no, know, you have be... it in your iPhone. So it's kind of like, what do I do with it? No, that, I mean, that's, that's, we can talk about LiDAR in a little, a little bit, but this is really more traditional Adobe Photoshop, you know, rendering capability. So, Got it. so here's what's exciting. But so let's say, let's take that couch example to another step. So let's say, um, I now have that same couch and I now have it in 3D. So it's more efficient than going out and taking photos and people and time and resources. But now that couch comes in, um, let's say a hundred different colors, which is not uncommon that, you know, products come in lots of different variations of colors. So now I create that 3D model 
And then I got to turn it into all those different variants and colors. And, and what if it's not just the color? What if it's the, the legs are wood versus metal? And then you have a hundred different fabrics and then you have pillows, then you have welts and then you have, and if you multiply five times five times five times five, right across a hundred, you know, different finishes, you could have millions, if not billions of combinations. And so now, even though you can do it in 3d, like it's, it's still pretty inefficient to create all those renderings. And so, and so it's it, while more efficient than maybe the physical photo, it's, it's still not optimally. And so what's happening right now is what if I could take the 3d object itself without having to render it and take a photo. And I just posted that 3d object online. And then using data, I can just change all the variants, right. Or change the shape or the dimensions, or I could move it around as a user. But the problem, the reason you can't do, you haven't been able to do that is it doesn't look very good, right? It looks like a, you know, sort of cartoonish 3D model. Then what's happening right now, like literally in the last 12 months and going forward, is the technology advancing to the point where you can render that 3D object in real time and start to approach a product in 3D looking like a real product without having to do any of that photography and rendering. And so now let's say I had a billion different variants of that color. I just change the color and it automatically updates and there's no work. And so 3D sort of, if you can make 3D look real and what's called real time, um, all of the sudden, you know, the need to do any photography at all begins to go away. And so right now the markets for this are things like you know, like furniture and home goods. And, but when you can make it look real someday, it'll be, you know, more pedestrian things like, you know, handbags and gym shoes and, you know, shampoo bottles. And eventually everything you ever see on a product page on a website will eventually be a 3d model. It's, it's just so much more efficient. Yeah. So I, I know a lot of what I, I, well, I think myself and probably a lot of people are thinking is the, the stores where you want to see that sofa in your own room. So you're, you're taking that, that rendered image and putting it into your own room. And mm-hmm. so, so many questions, but I also, I'm also thinking about the staging for uh, home sales where you want to present a, a room that looks hopefully comfortable to the potential buyer. And I want to connect both of those together because you, you mentioned sizing and color mm-hmm. and dimensions, which are attributes. But earlier you mentioned lighting as well. And I'm just thinking, okay, my room, the light might look a certain way. I might have overhead lights or I might have a window or I might have a window behind me that's window in the shot and a window behind me that's not in the shot. And I'm wondering how that might change the lighting. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned like uh, throw cushions and blankets and things like that. And you might have a color scheme that uh, you want to pull together. And so I'm just wondering how complex can we get these environments to take in these virtual items and how complex can those virtual items get? You mentioned millions and millions of configurations of attributes. Where do we sit with that? How, how unique can I make and how customized can I make my environment with multiple objects together in a way that looks not like a cartoon? Yeah, that 
that is the that's the the question that everybody in this space is sort of marching toward. And so so let's come back to that product page just for one second, and then I'll transition right into you know. So if I have, um, uh, so we work. One of our clients today is like Lazy Boy and Ashley. A lot of the the brands that people know, right? Once they create this catalog of 3D products that look real, right, and are real enough to you know to approximate the real object, and people want to buy from that imagery or that 3D asset. Now I can house that 3D asset and, and make it a repository for all these different use cases. And so that's kind of, that's our model, so to speak, which is let's hold that one asset. And then if you said to me, I'd like to place this object in my house in an AR experience where I can visualize it in my room. Boom, I pull that asset down. I figure which like what fidelity and what quality and what size I need for that application. And I pull it down. Somebody else says, I want to use that same asset in VR. Let me pull that asset down. Somebody else may say, I want to put it on my product page. Somebody else may say, I want to put it in Google search. Somebody else may say, I want to share it with a trade partner. And so having that repository of 3D assets gives you this sort of content management ability to distribute it wherever you need it for that use case. And then on the application side, let's use AR for an example, like viewing that product in my room. So I can view that product in my room in pretty high you know quality and fidelity but now i have ambient light coming in right that may you know sort of reduce that visual or background lighting what's exciting and going back to marco's question about things like lidar and, and other sensors that are emerging in the phone is that is that device can begin to detect that and affect the 3d object appropriately like for instance um if i put um let's say a, a a, uh, uh, a vase, right, or a vase on a table, and there's a set of flowers next to it. The technology is smart enough now to actually show the reflection of the flowers on the vase, on the virtual vase. And so, it, it, and it's all about tricking your eye to make you say, gosh, that's really real. It has dimensions. It's a certain place in, in space. It's casting a shadow. It's receiving light. It's reflecting objects. And so, so, so the, the whether it's a head a headset like in VR or an AR experience using an iPhone or a AR headset, that's what's happening is that the, these technologies are beginning to, it's not the object itself, it's the ability to place the object in a scene and trick your eye into believing it's it's really there. And so that's that's all happening today, which means again, 3D can sort of begin to replace, you know, traditional means of showing products. So that that's me as a consumer in the experience mm -hmm. with, I'll say, assets and resources created by others. And so my question to you is, let's let's pretend for a moment uh, I, I have a new apartment and I'm moving from one apartment to another one. And I want to see all of my junk <laughs> from my old apartment. And the new one to see, is, is the couch going to look good? Will it fit? Um, what does my lamp look like? And how, how well does it light up? Or no, that lamp sucks. Let's, uh, we're going to need a new one right, mm -hmm. to, to, to get that room to look good. Is that possible? Or how far away are we from that where I can use technology and maybe even my own uh, gear to render my own assets and place them in different places? Yeah, so that's referred to as uh, 
uh, object recognition or object scanning. And that is here today. Um, it uses a technique called photogrammetry where it captures. So you take your iPhone and you walk around your, your couch or your chair and you pick up the volumetric dimensions of the, of the chair. At the same time, the camera is snapping photos of that object and it's capturing, call it like the material or the skin of the object and laying it over top of the volumetric of the object or the, or the geometry. And then you upload it just like a, a file and then you can take that with you and you can view it in, the, uh, in, your, in your new space. I'll, I'll tell you that the AR in particular is kind of an interesting one. And we wrote the very first AR app for the App Store in November of 11. So we've been, been looking for these use cases for quite a long time. And most of them are gimmicky. Right. Most of them are like, hey, it's a Snapchat filter, right, where you can put on cat's eyes or, you know, they're these they, they feel kind of like transient kind of marketing campaign, you know, campaigns. Where this where the the real use case for AR is sort of uh, what if you could take a 3D photograph? Right. And so if Marco, if I I was on vacation and I saw a statue that I thought was particularly interesting and it was something you liked that instead of just taking a photo of it, I can take a, capture the 3D space of it and send it to you. And then you could have the same experience I have while you're in Florence and I'm in St. Pete. We can, I can emulate that experience for it. That is the, the, the uh, transporting real objects, you know, to others is, is sort of the next phase of, you know, taking photographs or selfies or what have you. And that's, that's really where Apple is, is trying to head with all this tech. Wow. Okay. Now you're getting, you get me going. So as you say all these things, we recently had a great conversation about gaming and how we're getting into very powerful world rendering and how the metaverse is stopping into that. But as we were talking with these game engineers, it came out that while there could be the potential to do something like that. The internet is not fast enough, is not capable enough to get all these different points for each single individual that you may want to rent in a stadium, you know, maybe mm. 353,000 people. There's just not enough computer power to do that. But then you're telling me this thing where you, you could just take uh, the David of Donatello and, and send it to you maybe inside the gallery mm -hmm. and have that experience, which is kind of what I expect when I put my, you know, the VR goggle on. I'm not there yet, right? I don't feel that. And I wonder, is it because my machine, my VR goggle isn't powerful enough or? It's the difference between it's. So when we talk about real time, assets that's the difference mm. which is it's all about so if you have if you took that 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 david statue and you captured it in real time and it was static and you sent it to me and it, it and it was static when it came to me you can approximate or get very close to the realism that that you're looking for right and you're it, looking at maybe five megabyte on a really high definition right mm. whereas if i go into a game engine it's the same reason that if you go into these like um you know, virtual spaces for like, you know, office meetings, or you go into, you know, a shared collaboration space, you know, or Roblox or, or any of these that the reason they're cartoony and mm -hmm. not realistic is that it has to be performant. And it goes back to the issue of, of, you know, uh, do I like, do I as a consumer 
have a now I've got my little MacBook Pro here, which is nice, mm-hmm. but it's not got a great big graphics card in it. And so right. you end up having to render this content to be performant in kind of a lowest common denominator, which is all right. of our sort of business laptops, right? Now my mm-hmm. sons have big powerful, you know, VR gaming engine laptops and and they can get a, a better quality experience. Here's what's here's what will change that is removing the dependency on the device to do that high quality rendering. And so okay. that's that's the next thing that will help unlock this space is what's called cloud rendering right. or pixel streaming, which means that all of that happens offsite. It get it's get gets rendered in very high quality. And the only thing I see on my device is the is the is the streaming pixels and the result. And is that so, reliant upon I know 5G is kind of touching there. Is it is. A, is that a 6G? We have to wait for that, or no? I, I think it, 5G more, more edge. Quantum, yeah. quantum yeah. computer. <laughs> yeah, but it's not really that different than kind of like how we think about processing large amounts of data in the cloud today. Pixel mm-hmm. streaming is effectively kind of the same thing. But yeah, you know, 6G and whatever else comes next will obviously help it. But that dependence, that idea of being dependent on your headset right, or my laptop or my phone, mm. that's a barrier that has to go away. Otherwise, we'll always be, you know, serving the lowest common denominator so everybody can use right. it. Right. I remember you used to make jokes back in the days in, in, in advertising where you could do, like, you can you can shoot, like, a wonderful video in HD, but then if the guy watched it on a TV in black and white from, like, the 60s, uh, you know, you, you can have that streaming as good as you want from the point of starting but then you're not going to render the same way so well there's but, there's another thing Mara, and then you can go because i'm just thinking, oh yeah go for it i'm just thinking new new televisions and and high def cable channels even before 4k <clears throat> where would often show commercials of old videos old commercials shot uh, i don't even know what resolution but where the they, they would get cropped and 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 scrunched up and and that that experience was horrible right so i guess my i don't know my thought or question is being able to translate old and new across devices and, and things like that and i don't know if i'm going anywhere interesting here or not but just this idea of uh, if we're rendering stuff now how how future proof will it be yeah it's actually uh <laughs> actually a really pertinent question like so for instance with some of our clients the only real use case you know sort of seven or eight years ago was to use uh, a 3d asset of a of a product and do it at like what they call you know low or mid poly spec so maybe like poly or poly means like triangle right or vertices and so if you have an object that is a million vertices like think of some really big complex piece of victorian furniture that has all these like little details and corners and shapes and like there's no way to present that unless you you know make a million different triangles to 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 sort of mold the product or shape the product and so in order to show something like that in augmented reality you'd have to what they call decimate that take out as many triangles as you can like smooth out the corners or take out the edges and the more you take out the less real it looks and so there's a lot of products that were built in sort of low poly, mid poly spec for the use in AR. But now if you wanted to take that same product and you said, okay, I want that product 
on my product page. Like it's going to represent the product you buy. You have to go back and improve the quality, increase the triangles to make it look good. And mm -hmm. so you asked the, the perfect question. And so a lot of people are caught in between like, oh, I created this. Should I create the really high quality asset and plan for lower quality variants or create the lower quality and, and do the higher quality variants when I need to? And then it's all these details like, well, if it's two products in the scene, I can have a really high quality visual. But if there are 30 products in the scene, they all have to be smaller because you have to add the number of vertices to get the total value. And so, yeah, there are all these really interesting, like, how do I, what, what do I create? Where's it going to go? Should I try to future proof it? Am I just going to expect to be recreating it? Mm. And, and that's a lot of, those are the questions that a lot of retailers and manufacturers are, are grappling with is, uh, you know, how often am I going to have to be touching this content? All right. So we talk a lot about technology and, and that's that's really good. But I, I'm wondering, why do we go through all of this? So what was the difference between branding and marketing and advertising and selling something that has these 3D feelings versus static image or video? How... I mean, I know the answer to that, but how important is and what does it change if you have some study, case study done in, in the mind of the user? I mean, does it really help selling the product? Does it really, do the user really expect that or is it a need that we created because like, hey, we can do this, let's do it. So based on your experience. What yeah, so it's not really about the visual it's about the ability to customize. And so okay. when you think of like, let's say, for instance, you want to build a custom set of Nike shoes, right? And, and everything is moving towards this like mass customization. If you want mass customization for somebody to come in and build their own kitchen online in a browser or build their own, you know, bathroom or deck or whatever, or, or dress or anything else, if you actually wanted to unleash the power of mass personalization to end users at home, you can't do that with photography. That can only be done with live, real-time 3D models. And so, mm -hmm. so if you want to go uh, uh, to address all that demand for people to, to do it, like even like, I don't want to go to a car dealer. I want to you know go through, build my own car. That's all done in 3D. But in that space, there's not that many variants. There's only like 17 different ways you can configure a Jeep. But think yeah. of the number of ways you could configure a shoe or a dress or, you know, or an outfit. Like it's innumerable. So 3D is really about mass customization. But you, but the brands won't do it until they can do it in a way where the products look real. Mm. And so it's it's the convergence of mass customization and real enough to represent your product. And what will happen is that consumers will just be much more empowered to do many more things they do. Like going back to the top of our conversation, we all book our own airline ticket, right? Now we'll all be able to customize our own products. It's really the, the same thing. It's the same latent demand that we're trying to unlock. So it's one of those things where, you, sorry, Sean, just a yep. comment. And it, it, it's like when you see the convergence of technology that you need in order to achieve something, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that the electric car you need the battery that does that you need the conversion to do that you need to store the energy capture the energy and then have all of that so in a way i feel like it's the same thing and it is probably why 
seems to me that there is more application now in furniture because that's that's kind of like the market that people really want to see versus a, a Prada bag that maybe, yeah. you know. You, It'll come though, right? And yeah, that, no, and, I believe you. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, it's it's going to go one step further, which is, so this is a cool thing we're working on right now, which kind of really tells you like where this can go. Let me give you an example. So let's say you want to redo your kitchen, right? You want to be inspired. You want it to look real. Well, what is the first thing you're going to do? You're going to go on Pinterest or you're going to go on other inspirational sites. You're going to start typing in, you know, country house, farmhouse, kitchen, blue cabinets, and, and try to find something that, that gets you like sparked. And that's what you want, right? Then you, you take that sort of style you like, and then you build like a floor plan and maybe you start using a 3D, you know, tool to kind of, drag and drop and try to emulate what you saw in that picture. The next phase of this is using sort of machine learning and AI to do it for you. So it's like, I saw this photo and I love this kitchen. Here's my floor plan, make it fit. Right. And it begins to all of a sudden it automatically populates with a permutation of your kitchen based on your layout and your floors and your doors and windows. And it says, try this one. And then if you don't like it, you're like, let me see another permutation. Let me see another one. And so it's like, this is a terrible analog, but it's like tender for kitchen design. You're just swiping through <laughs> next, next, next. And it's building based on rules and data and machine learning and prior projects that other people created. And so now it's not just like everybody can customize. It's like everybody can customize fast. Like you're going to be, you'll be go from inspiration to design. And that's what's really going to unlock this is it's like, I want to customize my shoe that looks like this photo or a combination of these two photos. And that's where this stuff really gets interesting. It gets interesting when the, the AI is telling you, I know your taste. So let me give you three options that you're going to like. Yep. Right? Yep. That's and that, you know, you, you, you search through these, these nine photos, we put together a composite. Here's 10 options that you can search through. Yeah. It's really going to be, and instead of like looking through photos, you're looking through live, like, live changeable you know photos right yeah and that was actually one of the things i wanted to touch on um i was going to go there second but i'll i'll go there now and i'm just thinking of the the data that's generated because i'm wondering how 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 valuable is the activities and actions and the engagement and the, all the data and metadata that that's generating versus selling one kitchen cabinet so I'm just thinking that the, the yeah what what people are searching for, their tastes, uh, what what brands they like. Uh, I don't know that all that information to me seems extremely valuable. So is that something that's being harnessed and used? It, it is, yeah. And so think about it. So the the thing we all you know, at least in the retail space, the thing we're all headed towards is like, how do we get a really good lead? Right. And, or how does that, we get that person to check out on their own. But let's say, let's say for Marco, you come to my site, I may have things like how to guides or best practices. Right. And you may look through that and say, Hey, contact me for your project. I mean, you might, you might get a lot of people to do that, but the quality of the lead is not going to be that high. Right, where somebody else may go through like a visualizer and, and look at styles and different shapes and colors and then say, hey, contact me. Or somebody else may use a budgeting tool and say, you know, 
uh, I went through these different, you know, survey options. Hey, now contact me. This is what I think I like. Or somebody else might spend, you know, 50 hours building 10 different kitchens, all different shapes and sizes over a 14 month, you know, period. Right. What is that? And, and that's actually a real example. And so, so you think of the volumes of it's like, you know, you can start to actually see in the data, like as consumers get more and more serious. And if you're a, a major, you know, you know, DIY or furniture retailer, you're working with clients all the time and you have to choose, do I work with Mary or Beth? Right. And, and you can begin to use this data to say, well, Mary's been involved for six months. She's used all these tools. She's visualized, she's built something herself. You know, she's more likely to be the one that's going to convert. And so that's a, that's the right question, which is, this is like, how do you put somebody in a system and to begin understanding how they engage and what they're interested in? And then how do you pluck them out based on a set of readiness? And so you kind of use your resources appropriately or, or going further, how do you let them do it all themselves if they can, right? And not have to get somebody involved at all. And I'm, I'm also thinking of that, that data and those results, let's say, KB Homes is a builder. They have a certain style of tracked homes and, and they're building something in Arizona. And uh, Arizonites like the, this particular style based on the data we have. Let's, let's stage our next uh, phase of homes to match what we think those buyers would like so that we can actually sell more homes. Yeah, it's back to it's kind of the anticipated mass customization, right? You're trying to get ahead of um, and I mean, you guys are hitting on exactly where all this is headed, which is like not every, you know, how far can you go in terms of personalization, letting them choose themselves and anticipating their needs to give somebody a visual that connects with them immediately and, and helps them through their purchase process. Tell me apart from the, the use that you have mentioned so far, where your business is focused, other example of things that maybe we think as user it's is real but in reality is rendered is there some something like that um there will be something like that maybe soon um it, it products are kind of the uh are sort of the on the on the the tip of the spear for this category for sure um <laughs> you know i was just kind of giggling too you asked the question so I, unfortunately there's probably a future where marco while we see each other on camera right where you may not be real and you may be fully rendered and ai yeah, i'm you know, thinking <laughs> avatar too when i was <laughs> yeah no you know there's probably a lot of spaces where you know the pseudo real experience is going to be there unfortunately the adult industry will probably be an early adopter of the space uh, which won't be the first time in the history of business, but yeah. um, uh, but I think like you know automotive, you know yeah. most everything you see online in automotive is not real uh, or has been rendered. Let's see. Uh, How about the actual manufacturing process? Is that like all the all the parts that make up? Are the so, engineers using that, or are the architects using that to say so, will this stuff fit together? Or? Yeah, well, so that's actually been in place for, you know, 60 years where people have used CAD for what they call product lifecycle management to sort of build manufacturing specifications of products. In a lot of way, 
CAD is sort of the great grandfather of this space where it was, I'm building a product for, you know, manufacturing specifications so something could get built, but those objects can't live in a rendering environment, like a, like a game engine, for instance. And so, so actually often a lot of our clients will send us their CAD assets and we have to transpose them into something that can be used in a, you know, sort of a, a game engine. So, but it's interesting now we're seeing it flip back the other way where we're seeing, um, like if, if you, if you've got like a, a 3d planning tool and you've got a group of clients out there and you're thinking about launching this new cool blue couch, like you can actually use your, these tools now to sort of like put out that cool blue couch and say, maybe coming soon and then letting users tell you whether or not this is popular or interesting or they could vote on it. And then that could get pulled back into your product lifecycle system and your CAD tools to actually go build the product. And so we have, we're not seeing people do that today, but it's kind of a small step to like, why in the world would you ever build something without testing it? In do you social engineer me? Cause I, I just <laughs> bought a, I just bought a blue velvet couch. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty wild. <laughs> let me, let me go here. And then I know Marco wants to take us uh, to the moon next, but, um, I'm just thinking what we're talking about is taking physical things and digitizing them and presenting them to people, maybe even machines to, to experience. And I'm wondering, is there, and, and you said customized, but what I captured there is customized with modularization mm -hmm. mod modules, right? Yep. Where I can, I can customize my shoe as long as I, I'm only changing the Nike logo from red to blue or, or, or maybe the sole depth or I don't know, there might be, but it's a set of pre set components mm -hmm. or I'm customizing my kitchen with a set of pre predefined uh, cabinet sizes. So I'm, what I'm asking is, is there an option in the future or maybe it exists now where I can customize and then that thing gets built truly custom, not within a, set of boundaries that have been predefined so a couch that's 36.2 inches not a standard i don't know 42 whatever what i'm not i don't even know what they are but that's kind of my point can can we can we end up visualizing and rendering something customized to us that then gets produced do you think we're heading in that direction or is it there uh, i think so you know that i um i'm gonna blank on the name of the company but i met a a uh, company does 3d printed furniture and it was um it's pretty simple stuff right it's like stools and you know simple flat tables not a whole lot of organic shapes kind of you know pretty simpler you know simple geometries um but you know there it was funny you know we're not ready to do it yet but their question was hey can you give me a tool that allows a user to get creative on their own and they could send it to us and we could real time you know, auto 3D print, you know, their product and send it back to them. Mm. And, um, you know, it's a it's a use case I hadn't necessarily thought of, but I imagine, you know, shoes and, and other categories. But if you're trying to get to real one-on-one -on -one customization where somebody does something that's entirely um, unique, yeah, you, those tools would have to exist. And uh, they don't today. They do in some ways today and kind of drawing tools, but not, you kind of probably got to be a pro. 
right? It's probably a, somebody who's in the profession of 3D modeling today, not your average, you know, homeowner. So I'm sure it'll get extrapolated and or, uh, or abstracted into tools that, you know, we could all use like we use PowerPoint at some point. I was just thinking an artisan in, in Venice or Florence and you go there and say, build me this thing the way I want. The guy's like, no way. You can, you're going to get what I make. <laughs> it's kind of like the chef in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> I want to finish with one of my passion in, in a way. Like I love to talk about the metaverse. So I'm thinking NFTs. I'm thinking people spending real cash into Gucci bags or whatever brand it is. They're investing a ton of money into a digital product that you that you use into either gaming or virtual world and so forth. And of course, it comes to my mind, the application of this, what you do in, into that. So is there a future that is coming or is already there for what you do into a product that is not even going to ever be a real product? Yeah, I, you know, it's a, it, all of that those kinds of experiences are predicated on building a, you know, a th digital twin of your catalog. So, mm. so, you know, we, you know, we're looking at those um, use cases. It's so funny to me. I um, hope I don't offend anybody like the, uh, the virtual malls that you can walk around in the metaverse. Um, I ha keep having, like, I don't like to walk around the real mall. Like what I want to walk around <laughs> like a virtual mall it's to me it's like going and shopping for a car in the metaverse and like a virtual car lot like i don't want to walk around the car lot either so mm -hmm. i think i think some of the times when you get into these new spaces we tend to like all right let's emulate in the in a fake world what we do in a real world and but that's not necessarily where you know consumers you know ultimately want to go um yeah but the all the all the karens are in the metaverse uh mall so <laughs> you, you just can go, you, you can all go experience you know i i see what you're saying because maybe it's the novelty and will will it that run out i mean we're trying to do things that i, I mean i never thought it that way but make me think like yeah we're doing stuff in the metaverse to try to reproduce even this stuff that we really don't like just because we can doesn't mean we should i think that's where you sort of i mean that's sort of where you know, things often start as sort of a reflection of, you know, mm. something that we see. But I, so here's where I think the metaverse really takes off. So the, to use, you know, the the Internet analog, like the Internet really became a thing when we had a protocol for linking from one website to the other. Right. Mm. When the hyper hyperlink came out and then all of a sudden it was or, you know, HTML language when it came out where it was like, OK, I can move from A to B to C to E like very easily and very smoothly. And I can kind of, you know, browse through all these different channels. And I think that's the, um, what will really happen in the metaverse is that there'll be a lot more boutique, you know, experiences that will be built by users, not necessarily like big companies. I think there'll be a big user generated content world. And then that user-generated content world, everybody will agree on a way to go from my virtual space to Marco's virtual space. And so, and then I'll be able to, to, you know, to walk through a door and be in a new environment, walk through another door and be in a new environment. So I really see the metaverse 
is like this connected world of user generated content where we all agree on the portal that takes us between those multiple spaces. I don't think it'll end up being a big corporate owned environment, mm. although they may build the, some of the tools. I think mm. it's going to be really user generated experiences we can walk through in between. That just I, yeah, made I me happy. <laughs> you know why? As you were describing that, Beck, I was thinking uh, Adobe Stock or iStock Photos or Story Blocks or any of these things where you contribute content to create other content, right? And in this case, I don't know, maybe some of my uh, photography will end up in the metaverse, right? And I'll, I'll contribute it either through open open source licensing or maybe I'll sell it in, uh, as an NFT and and that that world might have a skyline of uh, of New York that I took. Who knows? <laughs> is that complicated to render the skyline of New York? <laughs> back? Is it Sean that's like maybe I'm, maybe I'm shooting a little too uh, hard. But... I, I think in most movies now it's uh, probably not real, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> very true. Very true. I, I love the the metaverse vision that you just described because. Yeah. The fact that that scares me the most is that it's all a, a garden, you know, with walls around it, and you have to log out from one avatar to another to go to another universe, and it's not going to feel like really this metaverse where it'd be nice if you carry your own goods, your own NFTs, yeah. whatever your thing, from one world to another. That will be the real metaverse. And in one of the example that is brought up in one of our latest conversation was this like maybe you do go from one planet to another but but you're able to to be yourself you know yeah. and i'm picturing star wars and be like you know go on my millennium falcon and i go from one planet from tatooine to another one so wow well, i i didn't you, think we you were can gonna pick get one of your many selves to be exactly that too <laughs> why not well, go go figure, Sean. From photography to a couch, we we end up talking about the metaverse and NFTs and all of that. And I I think uh, there is a lot to think about, not just about shopping and and changing the way you you do business online or the user create you know an economy online, but also how society is going to be affected. And it is already affected by this. We don't carry tickets anymore and. I'm imagining again that uh, very soon companies will just maybe build on, you know, on request, a la carte menu for whatever you want. A la carte. That's right. Kick your uh, custom-made shoes up on the custom-made couch. Let's keep uh, thinking 3D. And, and Beck, uh, fabulous uh, meeting you. Glad, uh, glad to have you on the show here on Audio Signals. If, if you have any links to uh, some examples or some reports or anything that you think readers would be interested in, we'll ask you to share some of that and folks can find those links in the show notes here on Audio Signals. And uh, with that, let's, let's, keep, Thank you, uh, let's keep exploring what we can do in life. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure optimize and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. 
The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, and some even beyond that.